Hello and welcome back to Just Get A Real Job podcast. I'm of course your host, Jamie McKinley. Thank you as always for listening. And if this is your first time as well checking the podcast out, welcome. Thank you for thank you for tuning in. I'm really, really excited about this week's episode. I recorded this one a couple of weeks back and I've just been buzzing to put it out since. But joining us on the podcast this week is puppeteer and actor Dave Chapman, whose credits include everything from The Muppets Treasure Island, Prometheus, Star Wars, and a range of CBBC and kids shows as well. It was so nice getting to chat to someone like Dave, who's had quite a eclectic and interesting career to date. We'd also, of course, never had a puppeteer on the podcast so that was really really cool to finally have someone like that on and you know for anyone interested in becoming a puppeteer or just working in tv and film and the creative industries in general i think you're just going to love this episode dave was really really generous with his time he went into a lot of detail about how he became a puppeteer his journey into becoming a puppeteer as well as some of the incredible things he's done to date as well we spoke about his iconic character Otis the Advark which was on CBBC during the 90s we spoke about his part in Dick and Dom as well which was amazing because that was you know a big part of my childhood I remember that being on the telly a lot you know it's an iconic show so it was really fun to speak to Dave about that it was one of those interviews actually where I could have asked Dave so much more and we had so much to chat about and you know he just had you know I could have chatted to him all night and I actually said that to him on the, at the time as well it's such a an interesting chat we also spoke about dave's work on star wars dave's worked across the star wars franchise on a number of films and series including as one of the two performers for bb8 in the force awakens he's also done the voice for b2 emo in andor which i still need to watch actually i've heard good things about that yeah and it was just it was one of those conversations where you just go away thinking wow that was just that was just cool, and I'm I'm very lucky to get to do this podcast, and I can't put into words how much joy it brings to my own personal life, and it means a lot that you guys are listening every week and that you you're engaging and and checking it out as well. And thank you again to everyone that listened to our two episodes with Oz and Marcus from the Directors Take. I've had some lovely feedback on them, and it's been great to see people taking away their insights and advice. And be sure to check out their own podcast as well, the Directors Take, particularly if you're interested in the world of directing or film and TV. But no, it was an absolute joy to chat to Dave. It's a treat of an episode, and it's a bit longer than normal, but I really, really hope you enjoy. But without much further ado, episode 128 with the wonderful Dave Chapman. of hard work could be thrown away and people who don't care will they will say just get a real job i hate this little noise it's like, it feels like really unnerving for some reason <laughs> she is telling us it is time to work with her fake american <laughs> ai voice she just said recording you that's what she said literally <laughs> dave chapman it's Hello. an absolute treat to have you on the podcast tonight. We, I was just saying to you off air, we'd never had a puppeteer on. Had a very interesting career to date. Like, you know, CV's very eclectic from, you know, kids TV to Star Wars, everything in between. Fear to yeah. work, lots of stuff. Mm-hmm. Thank you for being with us tonight. 
No worries. It's a pleasure. I think, you know, really the main attraction of your podcast is the title, uh, which is the best title <laughs> of a podcast ever. And the place to me in many ways, because loads of my friends are like, hey, what have you been doing? And you tell them what you've been doing. And they go, yeah, that's not real work, is it? Never done a real day's work in his life. Look at his hands. He's never done a real day's work. <laughs> you know, real day's work. <laughs> Those are my hands. Leave them alone. But I have done a real day's work. You know. Every time anyone compliments the name of the podcast, I always have to caveat it with, it was my best friend that came up with the title, who I, I live <sighs> with now. He's in, the, he's, you know, in this very wow. building I'm in and you know so a massive shout out to Liam for the name I get this all the time and I wish I, I should just be like thanks but yeah, I feel like it's dishonest to just be like yes yeah, mine thank you because it's a team game you know what I mean it is but I like the fact what's your what's your flatmate called oh you're Liam 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 yeah. okay so Liam came up with just get a real job podcast what was the second candidate to just get a real job podcast? oh man I, oh Christ it's so bad so my original title was the tortured artist what a shite name that would have been oh that would have been yeah so history was <laughs> was rated <laughs> well, I'm really glad that it's called Just Get a Real Job Podcast. I'm very happy to be on it because, uh, like I say, I do get told that quite a lot. So, I mean, just proportionately to compared to a uh, person with a normal mm. job. So, you know, I think we go. all do, though. I think, you know, it's so common that people don't get anything you do in the creative industries. And I imagine that's particularly more common for you as a puppeteer. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. People's perception of puppeteer is uh, runs from children's parties to like sooty and sweet little like hand puppets. And they often say spitting image. They are, they never identify like creatures, monsters, robots. So, you know, like the sort of sci-fi canon stuff, they always think like soft and fluffy. They don't often think Muppets as well, which is where I got, like kind of got my start that thing of, they don't go, Mm. oh, do you, do you work with Fozzie Barrow? They always go, you got your end up sooty of yet, or, you know, uh, (laughs) or commercials and stuff like they don't also, there's a lot of puppeteers quite invisible. So there's a lot of things we do that people don't really realise are being sort of staffed by puppeteers. So in commercials, there's things happening that are out of the ordinary, or, or things have got a life mm. of their own, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. If it's not digital, then it's being done by puppeteers. You know, so so they, there's loads, lots of different layers to what the the job title can be. You know, and there's yeah. lots of different people doing. No, it's it's all really fascinating. I mean, there's going to be so much to talk to you about tonight, Dave. So, I mean, obviously I won't be able to ask you all the questions I've scribbled down, but I'll try my best. But just to sort of start off, do you want to introduce yourself to our listeners? I mean, I've sort of introduced you, but, you you know, you'll have a different perception of yourself than me, so... Yeah, sure. My name is Dave Chapman. I am a puppeteer. I'm a voice artist and I'm also an actor. So I've done those three things for the last 30 years. And I kind of flick flack between the three. People always go, why do you do three things? And you go, because I like them all equally and try and you know juggle the three of them. So yeah, I've worked in the entertainment industry, theatre, television and film. And uh, so far, so good. <laughs> <laughs> You'd made yeah. your uh, getting a real job go well so far, definitely. It's kind of, yeah. It makes it seem almost like a real job. But yeah, I have. I've been very lucky and blessed by it. So there's a lot of luck in all of this. So, you know, yeah, I'm mm. very lucky that it's all been good. And so, so far, I'll touch wood. And, um, you know, I enjoy it, which is also the other thing is I still enjoy it after uh, all those years. Yeah. And what's interesting about you saying that you're a voice artist, a puppeteer and an actor and stuff, you've been doing all of these things at once a lot of the time as well which a lot of people don't realise puppeteers do, you know what I mean? You're improvising jokes, you're writing, you're performing on live TV some of the time and and operating puppets. It's like you're doing a lot of things, which is very... Yeah, yeah, it's true. Again, that is a sort of strata of the puppeteer fraternity. So, uh, like, there are girls and guys who are more engaged by doing live television and improvisation work and vocal work. And there are other puppeteers who'd really rather be in the background, not saying anything, but doing some puppet manipulation or some object manipulation and being really cool and amazing at that. 
but they don't want to have that sort of the the voice the voice work um so yeah i'm in a gang of quite there's a few of us who do it and do it to a sort of a, a degree a, a level you know a live tv kind of level and uh, yeah it is pat, uh, pat your head and bloody tummy because you're puppeteering and you're doing a vocal performance and you're improvising and you also got a gallery in your ear so most people know mm-hmm. that you know most tv hosts uh, presenters have an earpiece which has the, the producer and the production assistant and script supervisor and <laughs> director in your ear so whilst you're doing all those things i just described you also have to have half of your brain listening to or a quarter of your brain maybe listening to what's going on in your earpiece because that's where all the essential information is coming in because you're working live and because you're working to time so you know otherwise i could i just talk all morning if they're, <laughs> i just chat away that's how funny doing all my funny voices ha <laughs> but they have to say you know you have three minutes you have two minutes you have one minute you have 10 seconds you know, there's loads of lots of things going along underneath so it's the old um you know it's, it's like say pay head rub your tummy it's that weird thing of i don't know you don't really know what it's like until you've done it and and i guess there's few very few people you know proportionately in in the uk or probably the mm. world you know how it goes but you know next time you're watching out deck or um claudia and tess or somebody you know there's somebody talking to them while they're working which is, <laughs> which is honestly very mad. Weird. <laughs> yeah i can't yeah. imagine somebody talking me talking to me like in my ear while i did this interview for example i'd be like what this is very strange um, so <laughs> yeah, it's a skill also, it's definitely a skill yeah there's a lot i mean but also radio that's the thing most people do not know that in radio the dj has a producer in there so some some djs make it really obvious because they actually talk them um but yeah there's it, you know there's so much there's loads of layers it's show business everything's fake <laughs> you know like yeah. loads of layers to all of it and, and that's how you get to achieve you know what what eventually comes out as hopefully good product be it film or theater or telly or whatever mm. no well um, dave just to just, just sort of start us off and to cast your mind back do you remember your sort of earliest creative influences do you were you always into puppets like I'm, I know growing up you like loved the Muppets and Star Wars and stuff mm-hmm. which you talked about in other interviews but mm. well I was uh, I suppose creatively like I as a little kid was like you know how little kids all have their sort of they all have their thing that they do uh, kick a football or they like to dress up or they do work mine was drawing and gluing things together and plasticine like, I was crazy about plasticine you could buy me a pack of plasticine for like two quid and like, keep me quiet for like five days but yeah uh, I, I dreamed of being able to do stop motion I did which I did laterally but i didn't do as a little kid but yeah practicing and sculpting things making things and drawing endlessly drawing uh, i was um you know I, I do do some illustrative work now but a little not a lot but a little and it all comes from just sitting as a kid figuring out how how to draw cartoons and how to yeah i was just intrigued my earliest memories are all that stuff so like literally my earliest memories are print stick and an egg box and you know, tin foil and stuff and making something crazy out of, <laughs> out of, uh, out of junk you know so yeah definitely i, I remember that like I say, earliest memories were always happiest mm. when I was gluing yoga pots together and making it into a robot, wasn't it? Nice. No, I mean, there's always like really, everyone's answer for this is always either really similar. It's always like something really quite innocent, like as a kid, because that's what creativity is, isn't it? You know, most people when they're kids don't think I'm going to do, I'm going to become like a director when I'm 25. Well, maybe some do, I guess, but I don't know. It's <laughs> usually something quite nice and, you know, just for the sake of being creative. Yeah, definitely. And and uh, I suppose, like you say, it's kind of instinctive. So you don't need yeah, you don't really think about it. You just go of the things that I can in my world. And I like cycling and I like riding my bike around the neighborhood. I like playing with other kids and I like doing all those mm. things that you do as a kid. But the thing that st- stuck out, the thing that I spent the most time doing definitely was uh, making things and building things. My mom, I think when I was a kid, my mom thought I was going to be like a like a prop maker when I, when I was in my early teens. She was like, oh, you could make props. Mm. Like, you're good at it. And I used to make, I mean, I made, as I got older and I learned skills of things that you, how you do it and, and I made better things not just like 
crap things. <laughs> but yeah, and I still occasionally make things. I made something recently for somebody uh, just because it was a friend and because it was fun. But I you know, don't do it professionally. Uh, and the people who do it professionally are unbelievably good at it. <laughs> mm. <laughs> you know, so yeah. And I suppose there is a sort of link over with because your understanding of the puppets you operate in, like to you know work with. You, I'm imagining you probably have a slight. Um, interaction with the idea of the craft behind it and stuff as well so it's, it's still a link there yeah there is a link yeah and you do it does it does play it does play occasionally mm. because uh you can talk to puppet builders and puppet makers and prop makers on the level and you can talk their language and you do sort of understand you can't yeah a lot of people just go make it bigger and red now but because you understand that there's a process that has to happen you never make wacky demands you always kind of go oh yeah i see that, that you couldn't put that in there because there's not enough space to fit the cabling through or whatever you have a more empathetic mm. i suppose an understanding as, uh, as having done that we're not in any major way but i certainly never talked to those people like i've sometimes heard them talk to because <laughs> you have to understand this process like all of it and like glue has to dry paint has to be sourced you know like things have to happen to make the dream come true mm-hmm. you know and it can't always be done with immediacy so 100 percent. and then sort of the other part of this question is about how where you're from has influenced you as a sort of creative person and despite all my research dave i actually don't know where you're from ah, i couldn't I couldn't find this particular fact online so <laughs> well wikipedia says i'm from kent which i'm not i was born in kent but i, I, I was only there for like a year but i grew up uh, by the seaside um in bognor regis which is like extreme south coast um mm. like it's uh right on the edge opposite not opposite the isle of Wight, but somewhere in that kind of neighborhood and i would say the, the the where how that influenced what i did was because being on a coast uh i felt like i was um out on the edge you know literally um and and away from the center like if, if there is any exciting london seemed like an exciting place where the center at the time where all the television and film was being made um so i suppose being by the coast and being so far away made me go I've got I've got to get out of here and move somewhere where it's all happening you know where I've got to get to that central place so mm. I think there's it's not even it's not even metaphorical I definitely remember as a kid going wow I am so far from London man I'm so far from that and I wasn't really I was like an hour and a half on the train but <clears throat> but when you're a kid it just seems like you know whatever 75 mm. miles seems like like this way so um yeah I think it influenced the fact that I just used to think could somebody who lives this far away from London in a little seaside town ever get to be a player with all those fancy London types? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I definitely thought I've got to get out and move on and get there. So I suppose it subliminally influenced me because I just thought I've got to keep moving. And it was lovely. It was, I had a great child. It was fantastic fun. And I, I love growing up by the seaside and I had lots of friends. And it was fantastic. But I definitely had at the back of my brain. I am very far away from where I need to be. Mm-hmm. So I've got it. I've got to get there. And I got there. You know, uh, I think when I was, I moved to London when I was 17. So I didn't hang around long. You know. And something which I think is interesting, Dave, from sort of my research about you and stuff is that you were writing letters to people that were working in the industry and, and make and sort of like believing that you could actually work in that industry, which is quite quite a cool thing to have at that age because I grew up in a small town in Fife in Scotland and I didn't see anyone around me doing any of these things so I never thought it would be possible to do and I think a lot of people listen to this feel that but what's quite interesting is you were writing letters to people like Jim Henson and getting replies I might add as well at like quite a young age yeah uh, well, I from the age of 11 I wrote, uh, it sounds incredibly precocious but from the age of 11 I thought well it's kind of feeding back into what I just said was, how do I get out of here? How do I move in? How do I get into this industry that I'm so fascinated by? And it was, I don't know what, I'll write, I'll write to people because back in the day, there's no email. Um, mm. So you did, you wrote letters. And I've got some of the, really bizarrely, I've got, I've got a couple of the ones that I sent to Lucasfilm. 
um, because back in the day you wrote to Lucasfilm and you left a gap for the answer with your so you wrote the question I mean if you're writing a question about whatever you know when's the next Indiana Jones movie out uh, that you left a gap and then the person in the office mm-hmm. would fill the gap and then they send the pe- paper back to you I understand now as an adult obviously that's really good in an office it's good for the <laughs> environment it's not wasting paper blah blah um so I've actually got a couple of them, which I've taken into Lucasfilm and shown significant Lucasfilm bigwigs, and they like, freaks them out because one of my questions is one of my things on one of them is my ambition is to work on a Lucasfilm movie, uh, and then the uh, person at Lucasfilm goes, "Well, they hope you achieve this or something like that," you know. But uh, yeah, from the age of eleven, I wrote to lots of people. So I wrote to uh, George Lucas and Spielberg and uh, Jim Henson and God, I mean, all sorts of people: Richard Attenborough, David Lynch, Alan Parker. Uh, you know, <laughs> like I got re- replies back from these people going. You know, keep keeping on, and they took me seriously as an 11, 12, 13 senior. I, th- I stopped writing them when I was about fourteen, because um, I've got like I'm, I've got the one to Lucasfilm that says mm-hmm. age fourteen after it, and I remember that was very much in the end of my. But yeah, they gave me advice, and they they wrote back, and yeah, just said get on with it. Oh, not get on with it, but like <laughs> keep keep this attitude or keep thinking you can do it. Get your study, and then graduate high, you know, or American citizen graduate high school, or get out of you know do your O levels or GCSEs or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I just sort of went, oh, that's good because they didn't write that going what are you talking about you're an idiot you must have this degree and that degree and you must have you know an uncle who works in the camera department it was very much like what if you're into it and if you keep keeping on then you'd probably be okay and that to me was amazing coming from people like that because i just thought wow you know like that's you know that's amazing that they didn't say you're just a Mm. little kid and we like the fact you like our movies but they definitely definitely took it seriously and, and said you know just keep keeping on keep trying and you know see how you go so that was amazing for me because again it wasn't i, I mean i think I, I got people's autographs occasionally so when i wrote to Steven spielberg for example it said p.s please can i have your autograph? Uh, but that wasn't the main driver uh it wasn't the main driver for it was literally as if that anyone had the advice and everyone did basically just say yeah you could do it just uh, keep keeping on you know study hard and learn about stuff get but they used to say go to the reference library so before the internet people would advise you to go to your local reference library to learn you know how a dolly works or how uh you know um how a movie's made i suppose or any of those things and nowadays they have all these podcasts and youtube clips and everything you know and that you know you could just google somebody i guess and it's but do you think it's actually harder now to do you think you would be able to do the letter stuff now or do you think because in some ways i'd imagine it's easier now i'm just thinking the people listening that are looking for that pathway like yeah, uh, it's different, really different hard, world. It? Yeah, yeah, it is a different world. My because yeah, my story is not a great one for because it's uh, from the eighteen seventy six when there was no internet. But yeah, in the modern parallel, I guess. Uh, yeah, I mean, you can email people. The thing is, that it's weird because it, involuntarily, an email doesn't have the the whammo, blammo, and of a, a letter. I wonder if people send letters to anybody. It's a kind of standout thing of going, "I have written you a letter because I mean this most sincerely." Instead of just sending a one-line email, that goes, I get quite yeah. a lot of emails that say, "How do I become an animatronics performer?" And you go, "Ah, oh, that's a very crappy email." They don't even go. Like when I was a kid, right, right to those people I just told you about, I would be like, mm. Dear Alan Parker, I very much enjoyed your film, Bugs Malone, and yeah. I love what you did with Angel Heart. I mean, I would go, This is why I'm writing to you because I think this, 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 and this is good, and that's why I think this answers my question. Mm. But I do get a lot of online emails and mm. stuff that go, How do I get, how do I do it? And you go, Oh, God, that's such a, that's such a basic way of saying, Can you give me some advice? You know, I mean, it sounds awkward to say that, but I just remember that. No, I, I get what I you mean. That, 
you know like it's good to sort of research and target the right people and um but yeah i don't know i mean i think probably you're right and it was probably easy as insane as it sounds to me because it wasn't yeah. easy it's easy uh maybe and less people mm. wanted to do it as well so much less people yeah that's true i suppose letters just do seem like more effort as you say as well because it just feels like more of a you're taking more time because i yeah. know you can write an email in two minutes and fire off yeah and my favorite is when i get cut and paste emails with the last guy's name still attached to the thing so and usually i know the last guy <laughs> so like there's like so i'm always like oh yeah i always want to write back by the way i'm not so but i don't um, and i am helpful to people but it's just that thing of it's such a it's such a uh, the one line question of how do i make it to be an animal tracks mm. performer how do i make it to be a puppeteer it is like you're like wow that's a long answer you know because and there's so many different ways you can get there yeah. and all my colleagues in the uk and, and in america actually all all different there's loads of different parts uh, of 100%. how people end up being one yeah yeah i mean we've done nearly 130 episodes of this podcast i'm so very different careers different levels and people but every, no one's got the same path so no. i always say that well, i always caveat any advice i give out and i'm like listen this is one way of doing it but there'll be a thousand other ways and you know don't mm. just listen to me i'm just one person so yeah know. yeah yeah, I, I mean, my, well. yeah, oh, definitely. But I think that thing of there's no shortcuts. I mean, so I, I always say, I'm sort of my son about this earlier, and he always thinks I sound grumpy, but it's that thing of saying <laughs> there's no shortcuts, uh, you know, hard work, persistence, uh, you know, a kind of a relentless. I mean, I think the thing of if you've really got to love this industry, to, like off the film and television, you, mm. you've really got to love it to do it because it, you know, it's, it doesn't treat you, it can treat you fantastically, but equally it's freelance, so it doesn't get there's not yeah. a sort of you know, you know how it's because you work for yourself in, in the industry. It's that thing of there's no sort of particular structure to it. So you don't go, oh, yeah, I joined when I was uh, 18. And then by 22, I was senior middle management. And by 26, I was a senior manager, team leader. Well, it doesn't have a structure. It's completely arbitrary. And you can work on terrible, terrible turkeys or you can work on fantastically successful mm. global brands. But it is like then next week you can be, you know, like I finished a Star Wars movie and you've, you've, you've been around the world and you've worked with some incredible people. And then the next day, you, you, you know, you've got to go back to your, you'll be in your bed, you wake up and go, okay better get a job <laughs> because you know you need yeah. to think of something you can't just sit at home doing nothing i mean obviously sometimes jobs dovetail but very often it's that high to the low which i think yeah. a lot of people find really difficult to cope with and that's probably yeah that's the, the strangest thing is the freelance bit mm. you know whereas it's... back in old hollywood you know they had jobs and they were in the studio system and they just worked yeah. and they went you know so different but... And people, everyone at the BBC always says to me, like the BBC used to be like that. Used to be like the BBC is a job for life and all that. But it's not mm-hmm. obviously not like that at all. Now it's very different. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, absolutely. The BBC. When I joined the BBC back in the olden days, I did five years. Five years there, ninety four to ninety nine. They, uh, it was that they, the people at the BBC uh, had been friends for life. They, they married each other. They partied together. They had barbecues in the summer. They went on holiday together. This was incredibly unified bunch of people and of course this all changed because it just is and naturally things change and indies got a shout which is great yeah. and so not all production in the uk for the bbc was made by the bbc and and it's sort of um it's sad in many ways because there were some incredible people there but most of the people who were super talented went off and made other mm. things and you know and and carried on being super talented in different areas you know? yeah no it's really interesting well, i want to talk to you about your sort of stint at the bbc but before that i want to yes. sort of talk because i know you studied at london academy of music and drama you did I like did. was it when you did like stage ステージマネジメントステージマネジメントプロフェッショナルそうやマイデグリーズインインオマイデクレバリーズインソルフディコンプリートリーアザイドオブイトアンアゲンファンタスティックベッドロックインアバーティリーベッドファンタスティックベッ
and yeah it, it's it was fantastic because it, it teaches you a whole nother layer of discipline which i do definitely use every day which is um you know sort of time management and organization and for planning and you know all that kind of stuff that you need i mean you kind of need it in any walk of life but it's super helpful in production when you know you know mm. how long things take and how much it is and uh, and uh yeah i worked in the west end for sort of a year and a half on graduation and then completely went to a left turn <laughs> But I, yeah, I loved it, and I had a great, and I do like I say, I have loads of skills I use all the time. And mm. all my colleagues, so all my friends who were at Lambda, many of them do related things, and many of them do completely unrelated things, but all in the entertainment industry. So it's you know, lighting designers and casting directors and producers, mm. and yeah, it'd be this, it's eclectic. But we all have that bedrock of knowing how to make a show from sort of from the page on getting into production which i still do now again i use those skills all the time and anyone who's thinking about stage management it's a fantastic fun career it's fantastic it really is brilliant because you're, you're always doing different things and you know it's always changing you can often tour the country or the world and mm. uh it's it's a you know show business is good for a laugh <laughs> <laughs> a very respectable career well as well as a sort of as well as studying that course i was wanted to ask you because i know you got a reply another letter back from jim when you were like 19 or something, I think. Uh, no, the letter I wrote for him was when I was a kid. So yeah. the, I, I did get a reply when I was 19. So I left Lambda, mm. worked in the West End for a year and a half. And then there was an answer phone message on my mom's answer phone back at my house because that was the number that was on my CV. <laughs> I say CV, the number that was on the letter <laughs> I wrote to Jim Henson. I had my own number <laughs> saying, wow, there's an opportunity, you've got to call me. So back when I was 11, Jim Henson's secretary, uh, well, he replied, but obviously Jill Colley, his secretary, wrote that letter, but it said, uh, you know, you're too young to work in this organisation, but um, keep, we'll keep your details on file and uh, we'll get back to you should anything ever happen. We train very few Muppet performers mm. because, I mean, I've since learned that they were just not training everybody because they never really set up rival companies and, yeah. you know, not, yeah, not, yeah. Not, it would have made the Muppets, sort of, I guess, sort of, just wouldn't have been so great for them. It was an exclusive little company doing an exclusive little thing. So I thought, oh, that's a shame when I was 11. That I'll never hear back from that sort of thing. And then when I was 19, um, yeah, this my mum called and I was, got back from work um, and said, you know, there's this message on the answer from Jim Henson Company. They want you to audition to be a Muppet performer. Uh, so I was like, well, that's insane. That's because it's such a long, when you're a kid, you know, when you're 19, mm. from a letter you've written, you're 11, it's half your life again. So it feels so straight. But sure enough, that's what happened. And uh, I went down to Camden, where the old creature shop was, or the second creature shop was, and um, yeah, and auditioned and, and got a gig. <laughs> to be trained in the Muppet workshop so I learned you know Muppet style we did a bit of animatronics and then yeah it was uh, incredible so then I was like okay that's great and um, where do I go now because because at that point you go I've got these skills what's happening luckily they were making Muppet Treasure Island and there were other jobs around so stuff just started to filter down and I was on the books you know oh he's tra he's trained he knows how it goes and so I just started getting jobs from them and then once your name's out there and you do jobs you get jobs from other people uh because you sort of get a reputation for being a you know a useful proper person i hope were you kind of like shocked at the time when you got that on that onto that training course was that like a surprise yeah. to you were you like kind of feeling prepared oh, yeah. for that yeah no i wasn't prepared at all um my, my when i went around the corner so oval road is kind of around the back of camden lock and um you i went from the tube over the road and then as i got and i just like see this huge long line of people because <laughs> i was like airheading it i was going wow a lot of people in that queue what are they <laughs> queuing for <laughs> and then i get halfway down the queue and then i see the queue finishes at the the, 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 doors oh, yeah. the picture shop 
So I was like, oh no. So there's about three years, like 200 people, 250 people, I guess. And then um, I was seeing like hundreds. I'm shrinking the exaggeration down in case it makes it sound too much. <laughs> but I think it's probably about 200. And then, um, yeah, I joined the back of the queue. I was like, oh, oh man. man. And as I'm standing in the queue and the queue is going down and down and down, my brain is just going, these guys are all expert puppeteers from all over the world. What are you doing here? <laughs> You know, like, it was literally, that's all I did for, like, 40 minutes, just going, look at her. She looks like she could do some great puppeteering. He's got very big, muscly arms. I bet he's done very big theatre puppets. I just did the whole, the whole walk, all the walk, that whole 40 minutes. was like, why don't you just go now? Like, this is, these people are made oh, for right. so, You know, that's crazy. Um, but, I, again, since learned that, you know, 80% of those, maybe 75% of those people were just actors having a punt. So they were actors kind of going, they saw the advert, there was, it was advertised in mm. the stage and somewhere else, I believe. And then, um, they went, oh, we could we could have a shot of this. But it's really, <laughs> you know, like, again, with respect to all those people from the olden days, it's much more complicated than that. So to get in, it's like auditioning for drama college or something or mm. being on a on a singing contest. It's like you have to have some, you have to know some of it. You know, like if you're entering a singing contest, you're, you know, audition for drama school, you should be able to act or you should be able to sing to a degree. Uh, and so therefore, a lot of people could not puppeteer. So it's a very quick audition. They're like, you know, say your name and put your puppet up in the air. And they were terrible. So they said, thank you very much. Bye. And did you have to like bring your own puppet to this uh, like audition? Or did they give no. you like a puppet and say like, you know. Do yeah, you? they gave you. Yeah, they gave you puppets. And they gave us Fraggles. Uh, there's a TV show called Fraggle Rock back in the day, mm. which is back back now but uh they they just had a they literally a cupboard full of fraggles so uh any of the background fraggles were just there on the bench and you picked your puppet up and, and you did your thing to the wow. camera you had to do uh i don't remember what you have to do to, to get you did some dialogue stuff and then a song because muppets are very they're dancing they, yeah they would make you do some speaking and uh some dialogue and i can't remember what that was but they definitely made you do a song because muppets have a very heavy musical leaning still to this day the muppets are very mm. they're very happy with music <laughs> yeah they have their own band and they often sing so that thing it's also some check of rhythm so if someone it's the patting your head rubbing your stomach thing again so sometimes when i audition people i've seen you are looking for whether they can sing a line of dialogue and so sing um the lyrics which is one tempo but at the same mm. time they're moving their body uh dancing in time to the music which is another tempo and that's easy to do as a human being well not for everyone <laughs> but generally it's quite easy it's quite hard to do when you're starting out to go okay I can lip sync these these lyrics perfectly, but at the same time, I'm moving my body in time with the drum beat wow. or with the bass line or with whatever, and that's what kind of gives you the clue. Okay, oh yeah, they've got they've got a rough they've got a rough idea of this. You know? Some yeah. people can't even talk. I mean, some people put a puppet on and they would be they're just terrible. But that's not their fault because they think you can just step into it, which of course you mm. can't. So it's not it's not as straightforward as like maybe not not I'm not saying that acting straightforward at all, but it's like so much more complicated than just that. Yeah, there's more mechanics, I suppose. I mean, it's, mm. it's really closely related, but there's just more mechanics because if I'm in an audition and I want to pick up a cup of tea and, you know, throw it over my shoulder, then that that's I can do that. But as a puppet, you know, you have to think, OK, how do we do that? <laughs> and how do we rig that? There's loads of things that happen in the puppet, but like some of the script writers oh, yeah. write insane things. So, yeah, your job, I suppose, is to figure out the mechanics of how that works, whereas as a human, you mm. have to do it, you know. So, yeah, that's a lot of my, a lot of my life is going through scripts and going... Okay, he climbs the wall. He gets out the window. <laughs> you know, like, that sort of thing. Going, how do we do this? So <laughs> figuring that out is is part. That's part of the fun. Actually, that's part of the puzzle. You know, in fact, those mm. challenges are sometimes the best where somebody's written something crazy. No, it's it's such a it's such a fascinating start like this. The idea of you being this cute is just it's amazing that it just went from there to where to obviously where he ended up. But like from sort of doing that, I know you as well that you did like Muppets Treasure Island, which 
was one of my is my favorite Muppets film, and I absolutely oh. loved that film growing up. So I got really excited when I read that. Obviously, there's like <laughs> the geeky Star Wars stuff in me. I'm like, oh, that's cool. But I was like, oh, that's actually like a really formative. I remember just watching it on VHS at the time. Just mm-hmm. watched that film loads. So that must have been amazing yeah. to get to do that in like yeah, just one of your first ever jobs. Yeah, a hundred percent. I was. Um, I, I mean, I probably did. You know, like four. I did. I can't say I was like forever. I did like four or five weeks or something. But what again it was mind-blowing because my heroes like you know if you're a musician and your heroes are radiated or if you're a musician and your heroes are you know arctic monkeys or whatever it's literally like stepping into their rehearsal room because for me i'm there with these names will mean something to some people and nothing to others uh with frank oz and um and um jerry jewell who's the muppet writer and um uh kevin clash and uh god steve whitmire dave girls all these people the legends dave girls is gonzo right so i'm actually in the room with the great gonzo and i'm like this guy <laughs> this guy when i was a kid like, i remember him from my earliest memories muppet shows and then he's so funny and it's so funny as a man as well mm. i've obviously since worked with him a lot but um, I was like, I'm actually in the room with these guys. And that's like being in the room with, like I say, I was using the musician parallel because it's the same thing. I was like 20, uh, by this point, I guess I'm like 20. Yeah. And uh, and, and I'm, I'm looking at them, watching them, learning, uh, assisting them. Often you do right hands when you start with Muppet performing. You Your job is to be hands, both hands on a rod mm-hmm. or a live hand. So they, one puppeteer has the left hand or the right hand, depending on which hand dominant they are. And then you just follow them around everywhere and hang on to their belt loops and do their right hand or their left hand. So, you know, you get to do that kind of stuff. Um, doing background characters, the, the rule in Muppets, as you may well have noticed, is to upstage wherever <laughs> possible. So if you get a background penguin or a background raccoon or a background, which we did on that movie, or crabs or whatever, it's like just be as upstage as you possibly can. <laughs> so that was... That's that class. Directed. Yeah, it was great. And, and, and that, because Brian Henson, Jim Sun directed, I mean, he's a brilliant director in any way. Um, he directed Muppet Christmas Carol, which was the first movie after Jim passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, he was obviously the perfect choice to do Treasure Island, and um, he's a brilliant director in the sense that he he's old school, like he has storyboards and he knows exactly what he wants, and he's fascinated by technology, and he always wants to innovate, do new stuff, uh, and so yeah, it was amazing. I was literally like given the keys to the magic factory, and I, I guess I still, uh, even then, I couldn't really believe it because because again, from twenty one, now I look back, it seems like so short a period of time, but if you're, when you're a kid, yeah. it seems like forever. But now I think to myself, you know, uh, I, I was a massive fan of the Muppets as a kid. And then by 21, I'm working with them. That's nuts. Mad. Yeah. yeah. But obviously still a lot of hard work and enthusiasm to get to even there. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, like, like I said about walking into the room and knowing what you're doing, I kind of self-taught myself. So so I mm. pre-YouTube, uh, I just have to watch those shows um, again and again. Uh, yeah, we had VHS. We had a VCR from when I was 16 years old. So I'd record all the content and then I'd slow it down and I'd watch, uh, you know, how things I could, those things I couldn't figure out, which when I got into the industry, I just asked them weird questions like, well, how do Cookie Monster's eyes spin all around like that? I don't know how it works. And they tell me, and I'd be like, wow, that's so cool. But <laughs> things that I didn't know. But the rest of it I had worked out for myself, and I'd practiced, mm-hmm. and I'd, I rented a video camera, rented a video camera, and um, <laughs> figured out how it goes. And so, therefore, yeah, I was I definitely. It's the 10,000 hours rule thing. I don't even know the tips. You know the 10,000 hours rule thing? Is like, that like you do something for some, a certain amount of time, you just kind of like, you yeah. pick it up sort of thing? 
yeah it's gonna work out so it's like people go well like basketball player like well magic johnson like he will have played for ten thousand hours before he became magic johnson mm. the same way that you know the beatles people go well they didn't they just you go yeah they did they were in hamburg and they were doing like you know, 10 <laughs> hours a day and they were you know just flat out i think they were doing more than 10 hours a day um mm. and it's just that thing of like so i guess by the time i got to the Henson company i definitely done i did yeah so i don't have a ten thousand hours certainly thousands of hours of Figuring yeah. out on a monitor, you know, looking at how it works because because those TV puppeteers again, not everyone knows, but TV puppeteers and animatronics stuff is you watch a monitor and you cannot do it without doing so. Mm. So uh, so yeah, I I rented a, vi- a video camera and figured out how a monitor works by feeding a camera to the TV set and like going oh wow the world because the world's the wrong way around on a monitor i don't know if you know this as well an <laughs> iphone is a mirror uh, or any any brand smartphone is a mirror and um you if you've got a monitor you're looking at the world exactly as the camera sees it so it's not a mirror so you have to mm. learn everything the wrong way around which is very confusing to some people <laughs> uh, confusing to me to be honest it's like when the computer well, like you see your yeah. reflection you're like what yeah yeah but you know like we're on zoom call now behind the scenes on just get a real job yes, yes, yes. we're on a zoom call so therefore when i lean uh like when i lean that way i go that way on the monitor i lean that way i go that way on the monitor so it, it's a mirror of course but in puppets if i want to lean that way i actually go the opposite direction because i'm mm. because the camera's looking it's very confusing it's very hard to describe in an audio environment yeah no, i imagine yeah. <laughs> yeah i'm sure there's youtube videos about like how puppet performance see their work or something. maybe slightly easier to teach yourself though as well yeah i think it well yes it isn't yes and no because a lot of people send me emails going how do you flip an iphone <laughs> camera how do you flip an ipod an ipad camera and there are apps <clears throat> you get an app if anyone's listening you want to know the answer um you get an app which uh, flips the flips the monitor for you well it straightens the monitor it makes it normal uh, and unflips it because the, the mm. whole world was the, you know the apple company and everyone who followed suit was it was decided that human beings would rather see a mirror when they're making selfies and mm. looking at themselves because it's intuitive uh yeah. but i'm glad they i'm glad they did in a way because then everyone would be popular i never even thought about it like that before well dave i wanted to talk as well about you know otis the advert on cbbc like which yeah. you did for a long long time and sounded like a lot of fun and you sort of yeah. learned on the job for that didn't you so. kind of yeah yeah i mean i learned that's where I, I was talking about um you know presentation and people talking in your ear and you know like how live television has a different set of skills applied on top of all the puppeteering stuff um so yeah i learned on the job in the sense that I've never presented live television. <laughs> I never presented anything, uh, and I never done a puppet on um, on television. And then suddenly it was sort of uh, they were like, "Yeah, cool, you said you're funny. Like, let's go." And um, you sort of went, "Oh wow, no one." I mean, they explained, you know, or when the person says you have ten seconds and you have to wrap up, and <laughs> it's very casual. I was like, "Oh, okay, this sounds good." And um, then I did it, and the first few times you do it is a bit like, "Wow, this is terrifying." I'm talking to millions of people, and back in the day, see. BBC, when I joined, was getting like six and a half million. So you genuinely were talking to hundreds of thousands of millions of people. And so it's sometimes it hits too. It's now sometimes you go, you go, ah, oh, loads of people are watching this right now. That's going through your mind as you're talking. <laughs> That's <laughs> That's so weird. But yeah, so I did. I learned. I basically learned presentation on the job. Had an amazing producer, Alistair Hughes, uh, who was um, incredible uh, and just just played to my strengths and sort of and educated me gently along the way and um yeah within a couple of weeks i was i, I was really enjoying it and uh you know i just kind of 
it just flew really that character really took off quickly but it was there's a lot of reasons why my favorite reason why is because it was on just before neighbors and uh <laughs> we we came we came off air at 535 uh and in truth tv presentation obviously tv listings slightly lie so neighbors was on air at 535 but we would sometimes we'd be on at 536 or 534 and a half whatever whenever people turn the tvs on then that show was huge by the way i forgot to say neighbors was getting like 16 million or mm. so when they turned on to watch that show we were there so the character became incredibly famous incredibly quickly because we had the kids already because the kids were watching and then we had like grannies this is really like my and grandma <laughs> i got a lot of letters from old people so yeah i it went really big really quick which is really lovely and 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 uh yeah they wrote in because again the email by the time i left they were emailing in but when i started i was like getting within about six months there's about 450 letters a week to fit to sort out you, at BBC policies, you do reply. Mm. You don't just go, I'll oh, put that in the bin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you go, I mean, you really, it was great. But again, I love that because I was a fan. Like, I was a geek mm. from, from Bob Regis who, who had written letters to people and puppeteers and people. So when I got letters from kids going, you know, dear Otis, what about this? What about that? What's your favorite thing? What's your, I was like, writing them. I felt so, I was so excited. I was like, now I'm the guy on the other side. I'm sending okay. this letter with, yeah, it's got a BBC logo on the envelope and they're going to receive it. And they'll be like, wow, I got a letter from the BBC. And it was just little old me writing the letters back and answering the questions. But it was cool. You know, it was, it was very cool. So, yeah, I learned a lot. And also I had to do interviews. And stuff. There's a lot of things you do when you're starting out in public world like i did so you know junket film junkets where you go and interview mm-hmm. celebrities who are promoting a movie and you go and do behind the scenes bts behind the scenes films on uh you know tv shows or pop promos or award ceremonies and you know there's so many different again even just that little the little microcosm of mm. children's television there's a lot of uh lots of opportunity and lots of weird you end up in weird places different countries doing different things you know so it was very and cool it, and, and you're writing your own stuff on this as well right you having to improvise and write jokes and i mean that must yeah. get quite like i know from working in a soap at the moment how much you're constantly churning out content and stuff but like yeah. how like you must be you're doing that like what five four nights a week and having oh to yeah write. It's 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 even it's it's even more than that. So I would be on air Monday to Saturday. So I'd be doing, and sometimes that was breakfast show, which is you know sort of five thirty a.m. to eight thirty a.m. Sometimes that'd be CBBC on Nickelodeon. So we used to do a whole strand for Nickelodeon, which Otis, the character I did, presented. Uh, mm-hmm. So there's lots of recording for that. And you did your live afternoon, which is three o'clock till five thirty-five. You might do some taping in the evening for some other stuff. But on the whole, there's a lot. There's a lot of improv and a lot of stuff going on there alongside that i had to, i delivered uh five times five minute sketches i had 25 minutes worth of sketch material every week recorded on a thursday morning so they were my main priority to get those sketches neat and tidy uh so yeah i was writing 25 minutes a week for the sketches and then the rest of it i used to kind of wing it so i'd kind of improvise and i'd occasionally make notes in my script but i sort of that was very fast and loose as if you look on youtube it looks quite fast and loose it's a little bit like yeah <laughs> but the sketches were very much they were very much structured and i learned structure and form sub-editing i sub-editing i learned very much in that kind of three months when i was the first three months i started writing sketches mm. i i'd never understood the sub-edit and, and i'd heard jennifer saunders say and i and it's like a name drop it's not at all i was in a lift with her once on a job and i said <laughs> your thing that i learned really young which was it's not what you keep in it's what you throw out it's that thing I, that really crystallized so what mm. i still to this day uh, have a right on policy so i just write right 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 and then sub-edit at the end. And I know a lot of people don't do that, but my, my thing is mm. the goal, you know, like, yes, so hard. Again, with young guns, you say, and I don't mean this patronizingly, but like a 20-year-old, because I've written this short film and it's brilliant. 
and you read it and you go, yeah, you could lose that. I don't want to lose that because I like the, the actress yeah. is doing that. It's brilliant. And you, you know, like, you know, because it's your job. So it's mm. that thing of going, wow, how do I communicate to this person that their work would be really shiny and amazing if they just took 10 pages out and they're so protective. And once you learn that lesson of like, get rid of it, it's fine. The, the, <laughs> you know, yeah, the, the best writers I've worked with are all able to go, that's fine. We can cut this. We've got to film this tomorrow. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's it's really difficult when you're like fighting over a line. You're like, listen, I love the line too, but yeah. it's got to go. And I think yeah. that's what distinguishes. But no, that's that's fat. Where did, how about the voice though? Like, where did all the voice acting stuff come from? Because obviously, I know you were uh, doing acting in theatre and stuff. But how did that? Yeah. How did you come um, up with the voice for Otis and stuff? Like that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The voice voice is really funny. It's really funny they analysed back in the day and and still. Um, it's a weird uh, kind of hybrid voice just made up from nowhere, and I I just wanted it to be. It has a childlike quality. It also has a slightly otherworldly. He's not South African. He should be. Ardwark is South African for Earth Pig. So he should maybe speak like, you know, Afrikaans, but he, he just talks in this really weird and I don't really know where it came from. It just sort of it just fit the face. That's a really bad answer, I know. But um <laughs> I don't really it's, it's, it was just something that I tried a few and that's the one that sort mm-hmm. of glued on. I started originally doing a different voice because the BBC said he has a long nose, so he must have a nasal voice. And I hated the voice they made me do. <laughs> Um, and I was like, this is terrible. And the puppet was really awful as well. I got him to change the puppet. Um, but uh, yeah, the, it's hard to know. He's enthusiastic. He's like a kid. I mean, you know, it's so high and insane. And when I do it, people often say, like, if, if I meet people who go, oh, you know, my mate grew up with us, just say, can you do the pup? And you're in a pub, can you do the voice? And uh, oh, okay, go, no, no. really, it's really loud. <laughs> and they go, and then they go, oh, yeah, but did you do the voice though? Or was it, was it a voice? And you go, yes, I did. And they go, well, why don't you just do it now? And you go, because it's really loud. And then sometimes for out of devilment, I do it. So they go, well, you would do it if you, and then I do it really, and the whole pub turns around and looks at you. <laughs> <laughs> they don't look at that. I mean, they look at your group. So, um, yeah, I don't really know where it came from. I really don't. I just know that when I looked on the monitor and I was trying different voices, that's the one that landed. Oh. And it became, I mean, I, some people found it very, Terry Wogan used to find it irritating. Terry Wogan said, um, with all these cooking programs that are on television at the moment, why hasn't anybody figured out how to boil what is the artwork? Oh, yes, thank you for watching Otis Vision. See you tomorrow. Uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> that must have been pretty good moment. You're like, I'm made, I'm yeah. made I'm Yeah, made absolutely. It. Yeah, yeah. I met him down the line again mm. on, a, on a children's need job, and I said, hey, you were saying about boiling. He, he, he was fine. He, he <laughs> slapped on. He latched onto any kind of pop culture things that were funny. Yeah, that's um, But yeah, how, yeah, it's cool. How did you deal with that though? That age, like being not even famous. I'm not saying that like even meaning that way, but just like having to do that much at that age, and you know, it's quite a lot. I think. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it, it, no, it really was. And again, you don't. Uh, I bizarrely, I was transcribing diaries. I had like I cleared out my office. And I had like 28 diaries, and I thought, well, I can sub these down into little, just like three volumes. So I was writing out what I was doing, not like, like an everyday diary. It's just literally what I was doing, where I was filming. So I was writing them all out, and um, I was flat out, like 95, 96, 97. I was completely and utterly flat out. So when I wasn't doing movie stuff, I was doing CVC. And when I wasn't doing CVC, I was doing stuff for Nickelodeon. I wasn't doing that. I was doing voice stuff. And um, I had like 18 days off in 1996, which is insane. The year I was um, born? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that, Jamie. Sorry, I just could, I could not. You know, I mean, you well, hear yeah. that year, you're like, yeah. I know. No, I was so busy. So um, how did I, I was thinking the other day when I was writing these diaries out, I was like, this is nuts. Like my schedule was crazy. So from 21 to 25, it was just flat out. And I coped by, uh, I suppose I had a lovely, I have a lovely set of friends, blessed by a lovely set of friends. The people I was working with are also now 
we'll be coming friends and are now lifelong friends so Richard and Dominic um, who obviously lastly became famous as Dick and Dom and uh, Kirsten O'Brien's a brilliant TV wow. presenter who uh, now has a radio show um, and Simeon Corti another guy but we basically we were tight so we, we hung out and we made the times when we were uh, not working count and then I you know I had my friends from drama quotes and stuff and I yeah I just took, you have to break from it and just forget about it so like you know Sundays are pretty sacred and and just going well if I wasn't working which I'd worked a lot of Sundays um yeah it's just getting your head out of it and, and not worrying about it and also I always meet deadlines and stuff so my writing doesn't hang over the weekend right I never you know I, the work sits within the work environment still to this mm. day and then home life sits within the home life environment and you know getting time to uh you know read a book or go for a walk or just get your head out of it i mean it's because it's incredibly immersive as you know and um sometimes it's really important to get things right your answer there was really interesting because i actually had a question i was going to ask you later about mental health and how you protect your mental and physical health in such a fast-paced industry especially yeah. working on big films like prometheus and star wars and some of the other work you've done like how do you like mm-hmm. as well as the separating and stuff how, i thought it'd be good to ask you this now but like how do you sort of do that uh which do you mean yes yeah, sort of like physical and emotional kind of well yeah, but so both is one thing yeah. i don't know people always yeah, say yeah. we should we should we shouldn't separate mental and physical health because they're both you know both health at the end of the day so yeah it's true yeah it's very true um i suppose um again physically uh the public jobs my, my world ranges from a physical uh job that requires no physicality like going doing a voiceover for somebody which is literally standing in a booth um that's easy and then um the extreme end of the scale would be uh, I mean, a literal example is a character I did for the Han Solo movie, which is um, on a fly harness um, up, up at 20 feet in the air with, you know, airlines and no visibility, you know, physical goggles in front of your eyes. And I've got the movie camera on and no breathing space and being zipped up inside a massive rubber snake for, you know, hours at a time. Uh, so there's the example of the hardcore physical thing. So you always have to be kept in those jobs, you have to be kept in good physical shape. So we often um, see uh, people who adjust your skeleton or uh, help give you a like, sports massage and stuff because mm. you are, the physical demands are immense. And the Dark Crystal we did for Netflix, the Skeksis, the kind of hit the baddie characters, and those you're wearing the whole thing like a rucksack and oh. you're entirely got a whole weight of the character on you. Um, so they're very physical. So you just have to take care of yourself and eat right and drink loads of water, stay fit. Um, and then emotionally, I suppose that's a really good, I mean, that kind of goes back to my other thing of, you know, breaking out from it and forgetting the film industry for a minute and forgetting the <laughs> stuff that you've got to choose. If you've got yeah. a heavy Monday, you've got stuff to shoot next week. Um, it's just putting it all down and putting your brain. It's really hard to do. I know it's something, something yeah. some people really, yeah. really struggle with. It's that thing of pigeonholing. And saying, oh, well, I won't worry about that ridiculously immense sequence we've got to shoot on Monday and everyone's going to be looking at me if it goes pear-shaped. I'll just get on with my Sunday off and I'll worry about <laughs> all that on Monday morning, which is so hard because I know, I don't know mm. whether it talks about compartmentalization of, mm. you know, using your headspace to go, oh, that's, don't worry about that to Monday. And this is, this, it is incredibly hard to do sometimes because of just natural, right, the human brain just strays occasionally when you're trying yeah. to have a complete day. Well, somebody calls you. That's the other thing. You can be on a Sunday and somebody will call you at three o'clock and go, what about the thing with the thing? And you go, oh, I was just relaxing and now you've ruined it. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's just, it's important to have a different, you know, yeah. have other things to break out to. And, so and no, one te- no one teaches you it either. I mean, I think sets are getting better. I think the industry t- is getting a bit more aware of it, but like, it's not something you get taught how to do. 
no it isn't something you get taught to do and it is healthy and also the other thing is it's very easy to get obsessive i mean because the weird thing is that it's kind of contrary because when we were talking earlier about when you're trying to get started and you're writing emails or you're writing letters or you're trying to communicate and get into the industry that is you have to be kind of obsessive i mean i, I you know you have to be really i think i said the thing earlier again about you've really got to love it it's never a thing that someone goes oh I've, I've tried being a brickie and i've tried being a taxi driver now i've tried working in the film industry it's like <laughs> if you if you want to do that it'll, or it'll tell you you really gotta love it so i think mm. that um the obsession can sometimes or the you know that that stuff can cross over into the weekends in my earlier career it used to so i used to be thinking oh i've got five hours on sunday afternoon i'll do some additional writing or i'll do something for next week mm. but i don't i definitely don't do that anymore because it's yeah. so important just to get your head into into other other places so that's kind of a repeat it's a kind of a repeat of the answer but it's just that's just the way i cope with it personally and there's lots of other ways no it's a really good answer yeah but definitely staying staying fit and healthy is pretty good yeah. yeah no i always i just always make a point to ask this because i just think te we tend to be bad at talking about it and i don't know why creative people are not to generalize but i do i do think it's not something we talk about enough no i think you're right yeah absolutely i think you're absolutely right and, and i think the, the stresses and the strains on people can be absolutely immense you know again mm. not the little you know middle manager who's got to deliver some portfolio on the accounts in australia or whatever uh that, that is i get that that's also stressful as well um or being a police officer or being a nurse yeah, being all, these, exactly. you know, yeah, all those things they all have the layers of stress there's something about the insemestry where it becomes very disproportionate sometimes where you have to mm. say to people don't worry it will some way or other it will it will happen it will get shot and they're like oh, i've got to be it's got to be this way and you go yeah but if it doesn't work out don't worry um because I think it's always it, a bit do or die isn't it i think it's the money involved as well often is a factor yeah but sometimes i do just want to shout to everyone like this is just tv like take a minute it's fine yeah. you don't need to get so angry at people it's okay yeah Sorry. yeah yeah, absolutely. There was a thing, uh, Oscar Isaac, who plays Poe Dameron in Star Wars, asked Harrison Ford for advice on, you know, how to perform in Star Wars. And he kind of gave him a whole sort of riff, but he equally um, said, it's fake, <coughs> excuse me, it's fake and it's in space. <laughs> saying it's fake <laughs> and it's in space. So he's sort of saying, you know, don't forget that we're all just pretending and it's going to be okay it's not like actually going to space or you know actually mm. being a brain surgeon or anything. it's literally people dress up in costumes and pretend that things happen that have never happened and it's mm. very cool when it's all cut together it looks great but it is that thing of remembering it is just dressing up and mucking about and at different levels it can be amazing and at other levels it's not so amazing but mm. i like that advice it's fake and it's in space because it's just sort of it's not dismissive in a sort of stupid way because he's not somebody like that it's just that thing of going remember we are just uh, yeah. horsing yeah. around it's, it's entertainment and there's like i said to some paramedics once i was on a job in america and they were freaking out because they said oh my god it's the guy who does bb8 oh my god and i and i said uh yeah but you do a really important job you're paramedics they said they were paramedic they're partners but you know work partners who were always in the same ambulance together and then i was like yeah but you do a real job man. Something. and they were like they were saying oh you know yeah but when we come home from uh doing that real job we need things to unwind and de-stress mm -hmm. and if we watch you know uh star wars movie or if we watch um whatever something else i'd done at the time this that's how we relax and so i kind of went oh yeah okay that makes it sound a bit more worthy than well than look at the post office scandal drama recently that's a great example to remind everyone how important you know yeah entertainment industry can be.
Yeah, hundred oh, percent. That's. I mean, that. The, yeah. Um, Mister, was it Mister? Uh, Mister Bates, Bates, Bates was the yeah. yeah, yeah. Mister Bates first person was fantastic, and and again, it's such so, so mm. sad that that had to move the argument forward because it's like well, a TV show moved the argument forward after twenty years, but it's brilliant. It did. But it's the same thing in theatre. I mean, theatre raises fantastic questions, mm. and please God, it never stop being that thing in British theatre where you can go to senior writing at the Royal Court in London, or you can go to what oh, loads of towns and cities in the UK mm. have new writing, and it's that thing of of you know awareness being raised about all kinds of issues over the years and things that the critic might never have ever thought of and suddenly goes wow that's an interesting thing and that's so vital and so important without saying like a real pseudo just it's, it's so important that we get like theater is so underfunded and it's so brilliant and it's also the jumping off point for so many people you know there's so many people in you know danny boyle for god's sake he was you know yeah. and, and wow. he started in theater and uh very quickly moved to to, to film and stuff but uh, there's so many people that just have that i mean actors geez i mean they all get their starts you know gary oldman funnily enough was the, mm. the star of the royal court and all the cast and directors were on his case like we've got to get this guy he's amazing you know <laughs> but he, he, uh, he got his start at rosebury for drama school went to do a few plays and you know there's a huge stuff. No, it's it, you know it's definitely a, a worthy job, which can be very stressful. Dave, I wanted to, I obviously want to ask you about the Star Wars stuff. The geek in me can't not obviously, but I mean, <laughs> the, you do, and there's quite a lot too because I know that you know there's actually somebody's actually made you a Wikipedia on a Star Wars Wikipedia called Wikipedia. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, I had to mention. I was like, "What yeah, the hell yeah. is this?" I'm aware like, of Wikipedia. I didn't know that yeah. I was on Wikipedia. You're on there. Well, there you go, yeah. Dave. You're on there, and it was very useful for research. But obviously, yeah. you are one of the one of one of the operators for BBA. And mm-hmm. t- tell us how all this came around. Well, I had just done uh, that was 2014. We started pre-production on uh, episode seven, uh, The Force Awakens, and um, I was I'd just done Prometheus with Neil Scanlon. Who is the Oscar-winning creature effects? An amazing film as well as Prometheus. Yeah, I mean, oh yeah, I mean, I, I, I love the look of that film. He's, he's mm. incredible with the yeah, color and the light and stuff. So that's a whole other, a whole other B plot. But yeah, <laughs> we've done that. So I was most recent, I guess, myself and um, Brian Herring, who's the other guy who does BBA. Uh, with we do it. It's a two. It takes two people to do it. Um, we were kind of fresh in Neil Scanlon's mind because we'd just done Prometheus, I think. So, uh, I mean, a couple of years earlier, it's just that Neil hadn't done anything in between. So he just sort of called us up and said, "What do you reckon?" And um, I was like, "Why are you talking about?" <laughs> so, this is insane. And also, I took the um, I took the job. Uh, I I didn't know the character was huge. So, as in mm. in eighty percent of the script. So I knew when I accepted it, it could have been five pages. I just didn't care. I was yeah, like, "Yeah, really Star Wars, great, yeah, yeah, it's great." And and I knew JJ was doing it, so I had this sort of faith in. Okay, this is right. You know, and Kathleen Kennedy, obviously, who has a, an excellent pedigree, was making movies. Um, and so I just sort of thought, well, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to do it. So yeah, went along and um, started work on it really early, and um, and uh, we were given the character. I mean, the characters. By the time I got there, the characters sort of almost finished being fabricated. And then when it finished, we then had it for ten days on a soundstage on our own. Uh, with a, a complete a, a whole soundstage to ourselves, totally empty, and that was our ten days to figure out how this character, what, you know, when it was sad, when it was happy, when it was surprised, angry, blah blah. blah. Uh, so work out all those beats, all those emotions, and then it got shipped to the desert because that film was shot sort of roughly yeah. chronologically. Yeah, so we we knew we had ten days and the clock was ticking. So come the Friday, it was like right, it's got to go in the box, and then we're not going to see it for two weeks, and then we're going to turn up in the desert and let's hope we can remember all that stuff and muscle memory and all that kind of thing. 
because uh, I have a transmitter which runs the head and the neck and the shoulder. So it's kind of whatever the head does is me, and then whatever the body does uh, is Brian moving around, or often another guy, Matt, who uh, we have a complete remote control hero version of that character. Um, and uh, Matt drives the character around, and I just do all the head performance stuff, which is again really tricky I, I, it's always it's always annoying when people go my job's really hard but bb8 was uh <laughs> really it's really tricky it's because it's tiny remote control it's like little tiny mm. um, like air, air, model airplane controls um but like one millimeter on my model controller would be like two two inches over on the character so it's really millimeter accurate precise stuff and if it goes wrong it's really wrong actually i joke with jojo uh that i said i wanted to get a t-shirt printed that said 359 degrees of wrong because they were you know like this thing had this thing could look 360 degrees so it's the first time that i was like wow there there are 359 degrees of this that could be a, a bad eye line and there's one degree that's the correct eye line because he has an eye like most of his characters mm. like bba has a, a kind of a glass sphere that serves as an eye so once that ain't looking at uh, Poe or Ray or, or Chewie, it looks weird. It's got, it's got to look where it's looking. And if it doesn't, it looks terrible. So, you know, very high pressure job, very scary. <laughs> the other thing is, like, how do you keep that a secret? Because obviously you oh, loved yeah. the growing up and, like, you know, the it's amazing that the Muppets and Star Wars 2 are your biggest, like, things that, you know, ended up getting to be part of. But, like, how yeah. did you keep that a secret? Like, that's crazy. I'd be like, oh my god, this is so exciting! I can't share it with anyone. Yeah, well, you do. That's the, 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 the that was there's two of there's two major secret things that happened on that job, and one was that so getting the initial job when mm -hmm. they were like the NDA was incredible. They still to this day are the NDA is very serious, <laughs> and we take them very seriously, and we go right, we can't mm -hmm. tell anybody that. So I just told my friends I was on a film. It was about it was like eight months. So I just wow. said I'm on a film, and I can't tell you anything, and it's NDA and. Oh, I'm going to the desert, and uh, oh, it's just a film. <laughs> what is it? Who's directing? Oh, I can't really tell. So they're sort of used to that. They used to me not telling them. Um, but obviously, this was like for me, it was like a big deal. Um, so that was one. The other one that was within that experience was um, assisting Frank Oz on Yoda on wow. uh, Last Jedi, where we knew like two years before the world saw that movie, we knew Yoda was coming back, and Frank was going to do Yoda. And in puppet terms, that was like, wow, Frank Oz is coming back to do Yoda, man. So we were terribly excited, and I got to assist him and be his uh, do Yoda's hands. Um, but again, it was like that was so severe. Like the secrecy on that was nuts. We shot. We shot at a different studio. We shot at night. Like not all the crew had those pages, so lots of the crew working on the movie didn't know Yoda wow. was in the movie. So that's really weird. Wheels within wheels of like we can't talk about. We can't talk about this. You know, we can't talk about it in the lot. We can't talk about it in the workshop mm. because anybody is like super secret, insanely yeah. secret. So, um, but that was one I really wanted to tell my, my family and stuff because because as a kid I had made like crap sponge yodas, and now here I was with Frank, who is the best you know living puppeteer, uh, and he and you know working alongside. Yeah, pretty much my hero. Because as a kid, Jim and Frank, Jim and Frank were both my heroes. But Frank, you know, Fozzie and Piggy and uh, and Cookie Monster and uh, wow. Grover and uh, you know, he, he, and obviously Yoda. But he's he's got so many fun, crazy characters inside one man, you know. And he's amazing. He doesn't disappoint. He's also an incredible film director, incredible talent. So yeah, lucky, really lucky to get that gig. That was very, that was an amazing time. Um, I mean, this is a really tough question, Dave, for you to answer. But like, what was the highlight of all of both those things like was there one moment that you, you treasure forever apart i mean i'm sure you treasure all of it but like it's really hard um i suppose do you mean from the the, the start the whole star was kind of period so to speak but, but particularly maybe the yoda part of it 
Oh, the end part. Oh god, just really getting to know, like, because Frank's been a huge hero of mine. And he, mm. he, well, we did Treasure Island. He did like three days. He keeps doing a movie at the time, so he, he was directing a film in LA. So he had to come in, do his piggy stuff, do his fuzzy stuff, and then leg it back out. Mm. So all the stuff was done in three days. So I did see him work, but I didn't really work with him. Um, but yeah, uh, the highlight of it's just getting to know that this this brain. Like I pointed, like this is how goofy it got. I found a picture of him and Jim in the fifties, um, and he's got these. Like, Frank's got these very severe <laughs> horn rim black glasses on, and he looks. He's all like in a suit and tie, but he's puppeteering. And like Frank, they they just look so formal. And I was pointing at this picture of him, going, "Look, that's you. You're the same <laughs> guy. You're the guy from the fifties in the black and white photos, but you're still here." Um, so I was just taking a Mickey. Um, but he, um, I guess, yeah, getting to know him and chatting to him and hearing his take on so many things he's pretty because he's a director he's you know he's very yeah. you know you can ask his opinion on anything um, anything he's done anything other people have done anything you've done you know he he's um he's very black and white with his advice and his his knowledge mm. and he's hilarious this is the strangest thing because most people who are very funny as you probably know are quite cerebral and quite i mean he's very cerebral but he's not sens- sensible and serious he just is always always being goofy yeah and that's where they're spent like that's a similar thing of all the muppet show performers lots of people go why did the muppet show land so well like muppet show was like insanely successful and they sold all over the world dubbed into so mm. many languages ahead of the you know ahead of syndication of shows you know sesame street and muppet show were incredibly ahead of the game with all that stuff and it's because they were having fun you know they were goofy friends having fun you know guys and girls the, the workshop people camera team the musicians the performers and so frank evokes that now so when i see him work with him and have a day of work with frank i go geez i mean imagine that for <laughs> an incident. he's so funny and, and i mean i'm a real tough critic i'm a real comedy geek as well and i'm a really tough critic so you know funny you know funny is mm. funny and you know i'll never laugh out for like this but he would kill me i mean laugh till i cry frequently you know at work yeah. with this guy who hysterical he feigned them um, having a heart attack once in front of like really <laughs> important <laughs> disney executives <laughs> but he told us he's like tip me and colin and damien yes, the other two my God. he said oh by the way when they come in i'm gonna pretend i'm having a heart attack we were like, are you serious and i was like hello can we come in we we're like wow wow we didn't so me and colin and damien oh, He's gonna have a, he's gonna fake having an heart attack in a minute. This is nuts. And there's these really senior Disney executives <laughs> and producers and stuff. And Frank's got something. Oh, like, okay, ah, yeah. yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's crazy. crazy. But again, that's yeah. what I love. I love that naughty, that's mm. the adventure. I mean, not enough people are like that. When it gets too serious, I get bored. Yeah, but that's probably all like what being a bean in kids' TV was probably a lot of that goes back to then, right? Like that like that sounds like it was that a bit silly and a laugh and a diff- I mean in a different way, but yeah, yeah, it was in a different way, and there were the, the stakes were sort of not quite so high, but yeah, it was. And the reason why, like the Richard and Dominic, um, who then you know put a double act together, and Kirsten and I noticed. So myself and Kirsten O'Brien, this particular one, presented to work together a lot. Zoe Ball, Josie Darby, Chris Jarvis, various people. And you just connect with them, and once you connect and click, and and you can have fun on there together, and and take it completely off road. And it'll work beautifully. It's like improvisers, you know. It's like yeah. they're any team. People often say, like, why does Forty Towers work, or why does why does only Falls and Horses? What's the ingredient? And you go, well, it's great script. Number one, number two, everyone liked each other. Everyone got on, you know. And I know that some some films that have been a nightmare to make end up being successes. But the general rule is, if it's mm. great fun to make, 
and everyone's having a great time and it's a good script it will be fine because it's that mm. it's weird it's like alchemical and without sounding like an idiot it's the energy that happens with those yeah, people yeah. in that just in that room on that day you have confidence in the director as well i mean when you work with a director you know whether the director's worth their salt you just know everything they're getting is going to be fantastic so you give them mm. everything you can to make that happen you know um but yeah, yeah. mucking about at work oh my god i mean jeez I, I i love it i still to this day i really <laughs> enjoy it when it all goes yeah. when it all goes tilted for a second yeah oh this is nuts you couldn't do this in a real job <laughs> exactly no but like, did you think about i mean all of your work must tie into each other but did, when you were working on such a big show or in film like star wars and i know you've done like andor and stuff as well so i mean there's a, a, there's a lot of that but like yeah. do you still go back to that like early time in kids like playing otis and i know you still do kids tv now and do loads yeah. of stuff but does that you still have that voice in your head a little bit still as well oh yeah yeah 100 and i think that um my preparation for being in the film industry where as you know it's kind of do or die you know here we all are mm. and we're shooting around this crazy location and, and uh, it's cost thousands of pounds to get here and everyone's here and let's make the shot work there's no there's no like oh sorry we're not really ready yeah there's no kind of like oh we can do it later on if you like or can you give us 25 minutes we'll get it right mm. you have to turn up bring your a game be fantastic or don't bother and so my thing with that is live television as a training ground provided me with that do or die brain mm -hmm. so when you're doing live at 21 you go oh i really can't screw up but like, i can't trip <laughs> over my words if i trip over my words yeah. it's the wrong thing or swear or you know do whatever you, you know like you read the red light mentality you know, obviously mm -hmm. the red light goes on the studio when you're live the red light mentality was really ingrained in me from early age so by the time i moved from i did five years as those the other i was like sliding into film stuff by the time i got there it was like uh i know how this is do or die i get this mm -hmm. and it, even though it's not live and even though it's not at the end of the world if you screw a take up it's great to approach every take like this is the one because yeah. the director might want three and he, he might want 23 but it's or she might want 23 it's this thing of kind of going it's time to do it now not <laughs> oh, can I just uh, give, give me five minutes to want to get in the character? Um, mm -hmm. Is it okay if I just, you know, it's like, no, it's not. Let's go, let's do it. And that let's go, let's do it mentality is definitely with me to this day. You know, I'm always like, quick, faster, more, now, go, shoot, let's do it. Because mm -hmm. I can't be sitting, sitting on my hands and... Have you slowly started to pinch yourself a bit less? Is more of this incredible stuff happens, like even like getting to do the voice stuff in Andor, like that's quite a big uh, deal. Yeah, that was a big deal. Yeah, that, uh, yeah. I mean, I do. Uh, yes, that's a strange thing there because voice. You mark voices on in big Hollywood projects. You always put the voice in anyway. So whilst you're working making the film, uh, it will be me doing a version of what I think the voice is eventually going to become. Uh, I mean, I do loads of voice work, but I don't necessarily... What happens is they tie celebrity names to the character. So I did a show, I did a character in Solo, and then John... Oh, God, who did it in the end? Oh, my God, John Favreau did it. Um, but then uh, the voice that I did... You know, Favreau is kind of matching with respect to him. Um, but yeah, come on, John, come on. But he's matching the beats and the rhythms because you have to, because it's locked into those beats and those rhythms. Mm. But essentially... Um, you know, like it's it's casting that he will go on. You know, he'll go on uh, Jimmy Kimmel and talk about it, and yeah, he'll promote it. So who cares if Dave Chapman's doing the voice? It's this thing of, I you know, you know, you're going to be posted out with somebody super famous and those really big projects. But Andor was very different because um, uh, it was an audition. It was auditioned on voice, so they auditioned a bunch of people who could do the animatronics and could perform a puppet character or a robot puppet character, and then they went. The person who's going to get this is the person who does the best voice for on set guy, 
And so I put the voice in, which is the voice that's on the show now. And they were like, oh, yeah, great. Well, they weren't. The director said, I don't believe you do that voice without post-production. So I need a Zoom call with you to prove that you could just do it. So I was like, wow, that's nuts. So I thought they were <laughs> interested. I was like, oh, that's interesting that they want to see that. That proves they're sort of thinking about me as potentially mm -hmm. to play this part. And so at 8 o'clock one morning, I did a Zoom call with him and did the voice on a Zoom call without any digital augmentation, etc. And then I got the job. So that was very yeah. cool. Um, but even when you're filming, you still go, oh, it'll be Ryan Gosling. It'll be, <laughs> it'll be Danny DeVito. And so even, even when you're doing it. And then um, and then uh, and they didn't change it, which was superb. Because I, re I mean, I'm not blowing my own trouble. I just like that voice. I think it sits mm. well within the canon of what Andor is. And I think that kind of weird, old-fashioned, uh, early AI voice that, you know, I heard once a little kid that sits well he's a quite a doer character b2 as well everything's like a bit on his yeah. shoulders so it works quite well yeah amazing work dave i know we've been speaking for a while so i've started to wrap things up but i've got a couple of tiny more questions for you Absolutely. i don't know i said, I don't know I said tiny i've got a few more quite i mean are they tiny <laughs> who knows there's a couple more for you but um yeah one of them is just obviously this podcast is really to help people understand how to get into this industry and again you're talking earlier get these emails not easy questions to answer but yeah. roughly what would the pathway be if somebody wanted to get into the sort of work you do wow that's a good question um the, uh, i would say um it's getting into the arena in the smallest possible way so like if it's puppets specifically and manipulation and then it's finding a usually theater public company so there are these public, public theater companies um and they do do some of them do workshops and some of them will definitely be happy for you to come people to come along and see how it works or whatever and it's really getting um uh, getting your foot in the door with that because having an experience a theater cv of theater experience will get you into television and film if there's big calls and stuff we often use theater puppeteers because like dark mm -hmm. crystal for netflix the small days are 10 puppeteers the big days are 80 puppeteers wow. so you know when you are looking for 80 you really have to find and so you get people in who or people who interview who they've done a bit of um you know public theater or they've done i mean the ones that have done war horse and stuff very specific skills wow. place very brilliant um but again they 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 did war horse, so they were doing theater and, you know those hours and those wages and stuff for for a couple of years before they then got into the, the other side of the industry so i said just get involved at any level uh, any public theater companies or anybody who's out doing it in, in um mm. in the real world every week sort of thing um because that's where you'll learn those manipulation skills uh, back in the day you, i'd say hey you need to write to jim henson company and go and get trained but they don't there's nobody there is nobody really central school i used to do a public course i believe it's finished the central school of speech and drama i believe it's finished and done but mm. yeah any it's just getting any experience and then um also with if you take that out of the equation it's doing manipulation at home you know with a with a video camera or an ipad or a phone um and seeing how it all works because it is quite it's not as easy as it looks and the more you do it the more you figure out oh yeah that's weird and yeah. but that's better that works and you know and also there's weird i mean there's stuff online man there's a there's a dark crystal thing online that i did with warwick brown like pike who's the other pub captain on that show um where we were kind of showing you know the basics of it there's a lot of bits and pieces we'll, we'll link that you... underneath this episode and we'll link some of those apps yeah. you talked about earlier so people can go and check that out if they want to yeah no thank you so much for answering that question it's really interesting again really tough question for you to answer dave and i know we'd only had a sort of whirlwind tour for your amazing career tonight but yeah. what's this sort of character or puppet or experience that you treasure the most of from your career so far and i know this is such a hard question for you to answer because you must be so it's... attached to them all it is really hard but uh i 
right. The one really strange, so I get asked the question, like, what's the, I get asked this question quite a lot. Um, and it's really, be, it's odd to be asked it in America because they don't know this show. But the show <laughs> that I had the most fun on and laughed the most on was Dick and Dom in the Bungalow. Absolute classic, so, by the way. <laughs> and I haven't even had time to ask you about it today. So I'm glad you'd mentioned it now because yeah, I love that. Cool. That was my yeah, childhood. It's Pete Steve. Ooh. I feel a bit awkward. Do you? <laughs> Uh, all right, Dave, we'll put that out. You're right, though. Yeah, yeah. It's good to see you, though. No, nice to see you. Go on. Uh, Maybe a shark again. Crack on, youth. Come on, okay. you get on with uh, your thing and okay. we'll, we'll get on with the show. Well, that's great. And again, that's what I love about it is you bump into people who go, well, I mean, weirdly, I get recognised for that quite a lot, but people look at me strangely in the supermarket and then the cashier will go like, oh, did you used to dick up? But yeah, um, the reason why Dick and the Bungalow is my favourite is because I was working with my friends, so um, Ian and Melvin and Richard and Dominic, um, we're all, mm. and the producer and director Stephen Simon are my great friends um, at the time, and we we're all hanging together and having a great laugh. Um, and it's so improvised. I mean, the show is, you know, uh, compared to Saturday morning TV shows now are, you know, 200 pages long um, and it's scripted and, you know, that's what everyone, everyone's expecting. Bungalow was like, just literally like sort of 12 pages or something. I <laughs> just like, uh, <laughs> they do a parody of, get your play cards right or um but but i mean there was again the producers sounds disrespectful to the production team so they did figure out some great bits and pieces that we used but they didn't hard scripts it and that's where i think the, the joy of bungalow comes and i think again if you watch it on any clip of bungalow on youtube you get a real strong sense of like wow this seems kind of weird <laughs> like they don't seem to know what's happening next and the reason is because we took it's, it's we sort really of fun to go back and watch that as i've found myself on night say it will come back flat and it's like two in the morning it's like oh what you just find yourself watching these old shows it, it still holds up man it, it's hilarious. yeah people yeah, still it reference great. it now like i heard um That's there was good. some i don't as such a classist word to use i was going to say there's some like neds on the bus but like <laughs> There was some uh, people, young people having fun on the bus recently. Yes. And they were probably yeah. like 15 and they were still doing like the bogeys thing now. So it's yeah, still, right. it's, still, it's aged. You know, it's yeah, still, yeah. It has aged hmm. gracefully slash disgracefully. But um, I'd say, like, I definitely laughed the most on that. And and we, because there was a public cat on that. So apart from the fact that I'm in the show a lot and I do loads of voices, um, uh, there's a public cat who lives next door who's really miserable and that really killed me as mm. a character. Uh, so I love doing him. But I just love the improvisational nature of it. So if you're going on and you're sort of, you know, go and be Bruce Forsyth and annoy the boys. And it's like it's such a broad, you know, oh, God, go and be Bruce Forsyth and annoy the boys. Um, so you go in and, and, and the boys know you're coming and they sort of know that this is the way we're going to take it for a few minutes. And, you know, some Sometimes it's great, sometimes it wasn't so great, but it was always that thing of whatever, this is so live, it's so of the moment. Mm. And, um, you know, just we just laughed and laughed and laughed. Uh, really? And lo when loves the show, we laugh on shot. So if you watch YouTube clips, sometimes all five <laughs> of us laugh at once. It's usually because the producer, Steve's very funny, and in our ear, he'd say something very funny, and then we'd all <laughs> laugh. Uh, so there's so much kind of... And also the kids, respect for the kids. Like, we had these yeah, six kids who were just normal kids, didn't matter where they came from, as long as they were, like, a bunch of friends. And they were just kids being kids. So that is better for me than people selling you things on a Saturday morning, saying, hey, kids, go and spend your Pokemon on this this afternoon. Whereas what we were doing was just go out and make stuff out of cardboard, have a laugh, you know, and hang out with your friends. Whereas before us, it was a, quite a sales pitchy thing. You know, people say, go and see my movie, uh, buy this single, this new toy is coming out this week. Have you got the new computer gaming platform? That's so different to what Bungalow was, which was just yeah. literally like, hope you're having fun being a kid. This is how we do it. Like, we make airplanes out of cardboard and we throw tomatoes <laughs> at each other you know so yeah oh, and, and yeah yeah definitely my definitely it's so strange because in america people go to conventions they go what's well, the greatest thing you've ever done and then you say you have to go on youtube and watch the show called dick and Dom in the Bungalow. and then people come <laughs> up 
like two or three days later, people go, wow, I watched that show on YouTube. It was so crazy. You're like, yeah, it was. It's brilliant. Um, uh, so, yeah, that's... that's we have some American listeners. So if you're listening to this, go and, go and check it. Dick and I'll put a link to that in YouTube um, and yeah. in, com- in, the, in the show notes as well. Um, yeah, yeah. Dave, definitely. before before I ask you the last question of tonight, do you, do you have anything coming up you want to plug? Is there anything exciting to look out for? Do I have anything I want to talk about? Yeah, I mean, you I'm might not be allowed to talk about it, to be no, fair. I don't know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have a really exciting film that works on the Come Down the Autumn, but I can't tell you what it is. Uh, and uh, there's another series I did that I can't tell you what it is because I'm bound not to say anything about it. So, yeah, I do I do have exciting things happening, but both of them, weirdly, are actually yeah heavily protected. But, uh, no, I'm just, uh, you know, I guess see where it goes. I mean, I'll do Saturday morning kids TV. So, obviously, CBBC on Saturday yeah. mornings in the uh, July through to Christmas, I do a, a mad... Uh, chicken nugget called a monster called stanley who's feeds very much back into that stuff oh thanks man (laughs) it feeds very much back into that skills base of live which i love and you know it's just he's kind of like me if i he's like the miserable side of me i've Uh, noticed his voice a few times tonight you'd sort of slip yeah 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 he's a bit of a go-to he's based on an actor (laughs) called ken campbell so he's based on a real person like his voice is based on a real person um but i've always used that as a bit of a go-to for kind of grumbly uh but yeah he's i mean that that is great fun again there's loads of that on the on um the website so saturday mashup website yeah, and on I, I player as well iPlayer. yeah 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 and uh, again so that that's coming up but otherwise uh yeah and i'm busy doing other bits and pieces uh uh i've been producing and directing a, a comedy pilot so there's yeah always always doing something and hopefully you know that'll that'll work out and maybe it won't but i like to just keep creating keep doing stuff keep you know keep it new yeah. keep it fresh you know stop going so stop yourself going so crazy and yeah well dave just you've given great advice right but your closing advice for anyone listening that maybe wants to become puppeteer Ooh, uh, i would say uh it's really um yeah the persistence and the trajectory and you know like that thing of just applying yourself never letting go of if you like a dog with a bone if you really want it and anything it's like it's really puppeteering and, and anything and it sounds so obvious advice because a lot of people don't have this but it's that obsession and you know immersion and uh just velocity just going right i want to do this i mean lots of people say oh i manifest it it's manifestation is almost like just self-belief isn't it? it's like going i will get this and that is great so i have no problem in people going I'm going to be whatever I want to be. But um, my thing that I tell you, I have to say to a lot of people is watch the best. So if in anything, again, if you're a musician or an actor or a puppeteer, is watch the best. It's all on YouTube. Back in the day, it wasn't. So it's like just learn, 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 learn. Flying mm-hmm. out, you know, it's, it's so crazy. But all of that stuff is, because it feels like you're doing it at home. Oh, wow, why am I doing this in my bedroom? Why is this ever going to help me? But you're learning. So the flying out mm. are being done. And that's it's quite hard because some people say, yeah, but I'm not doing anything. I'm not making anything. And you go, well, make something then. Like make a YouTube thing. Like make a goofy video where a puppet just gets up and has his breakfast and things are weird or whatever. It's just that thing of, even though they might go, yeah, but it's just a stupid YouTube video. Like it'll be seen by 250 people. You go, yeah, but you yourself have learned in that day how to make a funny video where a puppet gets up and has breakfast then tomorrow you'll learn a different thing and the next day you'll learn a different thing and they're all contributories that just keep that brain growing and going oh yeah i know that when you have them that's over you have to do that or i know if you if they throw a fork it has to be this and you know you learn all those all those ingredients so i just think get on with it like go for it do whatever make stuff be crap fail like failing is so important and that's another thing that bugs me when people you know a trajectory is about failure and when people get down and go oh i didn't think it didn't go right you go yeah but 
you're never going to do that thing that way again and you learn and tomorrow you learn new. and i know it all sounds a bit obvious and a bit like trippy hippie life advice but it's like failing is great as well because you're doing it i mean if somebody yeah. says to me oh, i made this thing and it was a bit crap or oh, the camera was wrong and then when i got it back it was all like all the footage was red <laughs> you go yeah that is bad but you yeah. did get off your backside and you did make something and, you, and next time the camera won't be you know the brushes will be fine because you did it and it's that proactivity thing that, that kills me of just going make stuff just do it make it make it make it it's like writers you say right 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 you know so people say i want to be a writer and you go you have to write and people you have to get writing and they're like oh really and you go yeah i just write stuff <laughs> you go oh, what's other stuff you get doesn't matter right you know, <laughs> you know. in the same way the puppets people say well, what would be the best puppet video to make to start off as a, an entry-level thing and you go doesn't matter whatever your imagination tells you like you know just do it and the more you do it the more the better you get at it and then the past just grows and grows and grows and grows and that's true of loads of people by the way i'm sure mm. you've had the same in the film industry well i've said to like a model maker like what what got you into model making and they're like i saw superman too and just thought i cannot believe that that that's a model they're blowing up and at that point i started buying airfix models and um there's a guy who came on dark crystal who's um ben morrison uh, ben morris rather who is the boss of ilm and he called me and said, listen, can I come to Dark Crystal? And I said, yeah, why do you want to come to Dark Crystal, Ben? You've seen this stuff all day and all night for 25 years. He said, because I went to see Dark Crystal at cinema and I walked out and said, I want to work in visual effects. I want to work in uh, the movie industry. He said, so to go back and see all that stuff, to come onto your set mm. and see all that stuff is going to blow my mind. And he stayed all day because it was that was his ignition point was just a movie, you know. So, yeah, interesting stuff. So just mm. go for it. That's the thing is just go for it. Yeah. Dave, that was very, very good closing advice. But listen, honestly, I'm not, and I'm not, I'm not just saying this to blow smoke up your ass or anything like that. But this has been such a treat to chat with you tonight. I've loved this oh. conversation. I could sit and chat to you all night, Jen. Like so much more I could have asked. I'm glad we got to talk about Dick and Dom as well because I was sad when I couldn't ask the question about that. No, it's uh, fine. I mean, it's, but, it's an absolute pleasure talking to you, Jamie. And again, because I do, I don't do many podcasts, but I, I, I was massively attracted by the title because uh, I get asked it all the time. But also, yeah, I'm always happy to talk about this stuff because we need people to to, to vocalize this stuff and, and say it's possible. That's the other thing because I think yeah. a lot of people go, "Wow, it's completely unattainable to me." I live in, you know, somewhere middle of nowhere. You go, no, it's it's definitely a thing. You know, there's you just have to want to do it, and you really, really have to want to do it. You know, and if you do, then you'll you'll do it. You just will. It's just you know, it will happen. Well, there you go. That was episode 128 with Dave Chapman. Wow, what an interesting guy, eh? I hope you all enjoyed that episode. Honestly, as I said at the start, it was just an absolute treat to speak to someone like Dave. Really, really generous and kind guy as well. Some of the advice he shared, I hope you guys find useful. And just a, what a cool life as well. Some, some amazing work that he's got to do so far. And really look forward to seeing whatever Dave does next. What's also been nice since recording this week's episode with Dave was I've been going away and watching some clips from Dick and Dom and some of the CBBC stuff from back in the day and it's just really nice to watch the shows like we didn't even get a chance to talk about things like the slammer and other shows that i remember from my childhood yeah no what what a cool guy what a cool guy but yes thank you as always for listening to the podcast if you enjoyed this week's episode with dave be sure to share it far and wide be sure to leave us a review or a five star rating if you're listening on spotify or apple we're of course a very independent podcast it's really hard especially with the algorithms these days to get much traction so please tell people to listen if you have friends and family that you know might not normally like this podcast but are into things like star wars or something send them it along why not every download helps and it's always lovely just to keep growing and keep getting new listeners in but we 
hope you have a wonderful rest of the week and we'll be back again next Wednesday. Thank you as always to Amy Dinsdale who does the artwork for this podcast and to Elliot Mitchell who puts a hell of a lot of hard work into editing and making this podcast sound as good as it can be. So thank you very much as always Elliot. Have a lovely week everyone. Just get a real job.